dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or savor a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, we return to Winefabet Street, where the letter of the day is J, and it stands for Jampal. Never heard of it? There's a good reason for that. There are only approximately 32 hectares planted. It is an indigenous grape variety from Portugal, and we had the opportunity to learn all about it with Master of Wine, Dersayu Viana Jr. Special thanks to Wines of Portugal U.S. Ambassador Eugenio Jardim for helping organize the interview, Franco Caputo of Italian Products and Beyond for arranging delivery of the wine, and Alison Levine of Please the Palate for making the introduction. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Did you know that you can do it right now while you are listening? New ratings and reviews are how the algorithms decide which podcasts they recommend to others. And if you love the podcast, other wine lovers will too. Don't forget to add your email address on the website to keep up with all things exploring the wine glass. Slancha. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, someday service, champagne and Cotteron specialist, and a WSET level two graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hello! Hi, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Winefabet Street. We are coming from Paso Robles, California, New Jersey, and London, correct, today? So yes, we are all over the world today, and we are talking. We are talking about Jampal, and I hope I am pronouncing that correctly. Junior, did I correct that? Did I say that correctly? Oh, now you're muted. Oh, you're muted. Unmute yourself. Yeah, can you hear yeah. me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you, you you pronounced it perfectly. So this is uh, when when we decided to do this grape. I really was like, there's no way. We are going to find somebody to come on and talk about this grape variety and, and to be able to taste this wine and do all this. And thank you so much to the Wines of Portugal for helping to arrange this and introducing Wine for Best Street to you. So we are very excited for today's episode, Jampal. All right. So for those of you who do not know me, my name is Lori. I am a UC Davis winemaking graduate, owner of Dracita Wines in Paso Robles. I am a champagne specialist, WSET level two, a Spanish wine scholar and Cotteron. And I am, I just can't wait to, to learn more about this grape variety. So Deb, how about you? I am Debbie Giaquindo. I'm known as a Hudson Valley wine goddess. I'm a certified specialist of wine, a wine location specialist in port and champagne and a certified specialist certified wine cherry specialist. I'm author of the book, uh, Tapping the Hudson Valley Day Trips and Weekend Itineraries to visit the Hudson Valley uh, wine region. And I'm a partner in Trio North Wildwood, a restaurant in North Wildwood, and we're opening for the season 
next Friday. So I've got a lot on my plate this week. Yes, yes. And today we have, I, you know, Dare Sue, but goes by Junior. And I, like we rambled off a bunch of credentials or whatever, but oh my God, your credentials. Tell us a little bit about you and how you got to your credentials. And, and before we get into the grape, we'll go uh, more about you. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Debbie, for this great introduction. And also thank you, as, as you said, thanks to Wines of Portugal, but also thank you to Eugenio Jardim, who is the ambassador of Wines of Portugal and USA. He's a great communicator, he's a great friend, and he is the one who put us together. So thanks to him that I'm here. My name, as you said, and you pronounce it very well, is Dilceu Viana Jr. And I was born in, in Brazil. And uh, I live in London, as you suggested. And because of the difficulties of people pronouncing my first name, uh, I, most people call me Junior here, so it's it's fine. And I, uh, I came here in sort of late, late 80s uh, from Brazil, uh, where I was born, and I was studying for... Uh, law and forest engineering, and when I came to London, early, really in the early, uh, sort of early nineties, uh, I started studying wine. So I had the, uh, I work in the on trade, I work in the off trade. I've been uh, working for a, a very large uh, wine distribution company for about twenty years. So after thirty years, three decades of experience, I decided to open my own uh, consultancy company. So I consult all over the world for wineries. I work also I work at the wines of Portugal. I write for a publication in, in the UK called Decanter. And I've written a book also. So I do all sorts of things. And uh, I'm a speaker also. I've been to the USA a few times to, to speak about uh, all different subjects. And uh, yeah, that's more or less what I do. <laughs> Just yeah. a little bit. Just a, a little bit. bit. Of everything. Kind of like all of us, a little bit of got our hands in different. Exactly. But keeps us busy and out of trouble, right? <laughs> keep, us, keep us busy, keep us out of trouble, and, and keeps me traveling sometimes a little bit too much because mm -hmm. I've got projects in Spain and Croatia and mm -hmm. Austria, Portugal, uh, South America. So it's uh, I, I spend a lot of my time in airports. Uh, you know, it's funny. As much as I love to travel, I get that. Like, I love traveling, but it's always kind of nice to come home. And then I'm usually wishing I was traveling again after I got home. But um, it is airports. Airports are not exactly as romantic as people think it is when they don't travel. <laughs> All right. So before we get into the interview and learning more about John Paul, we have um, Elmo, who is our little spokes guy here. So uh, we're going to start our video and hopefully it works. Well, welcome everybody to Jump Hall. And so we're going to start off uh, elaborating a little bit more um, about you, Junior. Uh, so as you mentioned, you're originally from Brazil. 
and you studied forest engineering and law. So first, what is forest engineering? Well, it's basically is how you you optimize all the resources from a forest. Actually, managing forests, especially in Brazil, we have a lot of uh, forests, and uh, there's a lot of different industries. Uh, paper industry, as an example. So it's actually how you manage those forests, and it's, it's quite quite vital for for us, quite important for our environment now. Wow! And so, oh, I guess like with with cork and all of that stuff, engineering, managing, you know, exactly. the, the, how to not overtake from the trees and all of that stuff. Exactly that. It's yeah. Cork is a great example. How you manage a cork tree is is incredible. Uh, the longevity when you plant, when you harvest, how long does it take for you to harvest, uh, and actually how you how you manage to optimize the, the, the tree itself. Wow, okay. And yeah. then you, so you mentioned that you've been in wine industry for, you know, 30 years or whatever, but how did you go from law to, to finding that wine? What was that wine that you were like, okay, maybe I want to go in this direction? I don't think it was so much a wine. It wasn't, it wasn't at that, uh, that moment. But uh, it was more. Uh, I needed to 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 do this uh, because when I came to the UK, actually, I came. Uh, I, I have lived in the USA for for a year. Um, I finished my high school in the in the middle of nowhere, but uh, in the middle of great people in Ohio State, in oh. Youngstown, Youngstown, Ohio. So I've, after I finished wow. university, uh, uh, my high school. Sorry, I went back to Brazil. I started doing my my university, and I. After a while, I was enjoying the forest engineering because it's to do with forests, to do with uh, all sorts of things, a lot of a lot of maths, which I like, a lot of science, a lot of biology, uh, chemistry, and so on. But um, law was I wasn't enjoying so much the, the law aspect, and it was quite hard because I was doing two two uh, two courses in two different universities at the same time. And I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself a break, so I came to London. I came to London for a few months. And uh, it was summer. It was wonderful. It was beautiful summer of 1989. Uh, the opposite of what it is today because the skies are gray. I'm looking out. The skies are gray. It's raining. So anyway, <laughs> I was fooled by by the charm of the great weather of, of London. In, in, in <laughs> and I and I ended up staying for another month and another month and so on. And after a while, I decided. To, Am I going to go back to university, uh, to the university after six months, which that's, that was the period that I have, uh, that I had at the time, or uh, I was going to stay here? So I decided to stay for a bit longer. So I had to start uh, to work. And uh, to, just to, to cut the story short, because I spoke English at the time, uh, very quickly I, I went up and I became a manager of, of, uh, of a restaurant. And with that uh, responsibility, I needed to do the wine lists. And I said, wow, I don't have no experience whatsoever. So then I decided to start uh, uh, looking for what's, what's the best school, what, where, where can I learn? And that's when I started doing my WSCT uh, level one, two, and three very quickly. And uh, then, then I fell in love with wine. And wow. And the rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history. Yeah. And yeah, still in London. <laughs> Still in London, yeah. Still in London. <laughs> yeah. So you wear a lot of hats, and uh, Junior, in your business, you're importer, buyer, consultant, project manager, wine judge, wine tourism, winemaker, just to name a few. Hmm. What is your favorite 
aspect of the wine world? My favorite aspect, it's a great question. It's, it's the continuous learning. Uh, because I, I do have a lot of different projects. And, I, uh, and one thing you have to do as a master of wine, uh, we, have a, we have to abide by a very strict code of conduct, uh, one of which is a conflict of interest. So what I try to do, what I do, is actually I have different projects in different parts of the world that there is no conflict at all. For example, I, as like Eugenio does uh, his job uh, for Wines of Portugal in USA, I do a very similar job for Wines of Portugal in, in Europe. So uh, what I try to do is uh, in, in Portugal, uh, as an example, I don't work with any producer. Uh, and I also write for, for a publication in Portugal. So I have no commercial attachment with, with a producer. That way I've, I'm free to select any wine I need, to write about any wine I, I want to write about uh, without any conflict. So that's how, how, how I keep that, uh, this going. And uh, going back to the favorite aspect, I, I like the, the very technical like microbiology to do with, uh, with the yeast, to do with bacteria and so on. So I do that for one company. I work in terms of uh, wine producing in another country. So it just keeps, it keep, I just keep learning all the time and meeting amazing people. And, and and exchanging knowledge and that's this is the greatest uh, that's why i enjoy the most to answer your question that is pretty cool like that and i do think in anything but especially in wine the more you know the more you know you need to know more <laughs> well, i totally agree no, I knew, uh, you just can't stop learning I, I knew absolutely everything about wine when i finished when i finished the wset level three <laughs> I knew everything. <laughs> After a while, and now I know that I know absolutely uh, nothing. And, <laughs> and, and then you just have to be humble enough to say, you know what? Every day you learn something, and if you have that attitude, it's it's amazing because every day you do uh, uh, yeah. learn and uh, able to exchange knowledge. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. So John Paul is actually from Portugal. And so before we get into the grape itself, let's learn a little bit about Portugal. Like, mm -hmm. where is it located? You know, it, is it, you know, what is its relative size? And I, what is it best known for in terms of like maybe a food and a wine? Like, what is, what is Portugal best known for? Oh, that's Portugal. It's, uh, if you look at, at the map of Europe, it's located in an in, in extreme sort of uh, uh, western part of, of, of that is if you look at the map, the, the, the part that's sticking out, the Iberia Peninsula on the left hand and on the sort of the left hand side, uh, you have Spain and Portugal, and Portugal is the, is the westernmost part of, of, of that Iberia Peninsula. It's a, it's a small country, if, uh, I think it's probably the size of New Jersey, it's not, not, not uh, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> Not bigger than that, but it's actually if you in terms of uh, in terms of area, it's ninety two thousand uh, kilometers square, which is not very much. Oh, Basically, okay. it's roughly two hundred kilometers from east to west, and six six hundred kilometers from north to south. So you can easily go from north to south in 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 sort of a day a day day's driving. Uh, it's amazing uh, uh, diversity in terms of, of, of uh, terroir, amazing diversity in terms of soil, 
a lot of different talking about wine now uh, uh, a great uh, diversity in terms of climatic it's almost in a crossroad with the, between continental climate they're coming from spain and the At atlantic influ influence from the west and some mediterranean from from the from the bottom from the south of, of portugal so it's a very small country but it's, a, it's an amazing diversity of of, uh, of of its terroir and and if you layer that with uh, with uh, an incredible number of uh, indigenous grape varieties uh, some of which i've even myself I'm, i'm going there once or twice a month sometimes even some of them i, I i'm discovering now so there's a lot to discover in portugal it's it's a really it's incredible country and i see like i'm going back like uh, like 40 or 50 years in this country we used to in, in in europe basically we used to drink a lot of german wines sweet german wines and then we from then on we went to slightly oaky rich chardonnay especially coming from australia and then now we're moving on to pinot grigio and proseccos and and sauvignon blanc from new zealand and most recently if i speak to friends of mine who are buyers who are working in retail uh, the interest that portugal is having in, in, in recent recent years last two three years has been amazing so i'm really excited I drink wines. I've got a nice cellar. I drink wines from all over the world. But I'm really when I when I speak about Portugal, I, I get really excited because it's it's always an ability to to keep learning. Oh, so exciting! I have never gotten to visit Portugal, oh, and I goodness. hope I hope one day I I do. I get to go there. Um, I adore Spain. And you know, so I've been, I, you know, I've been close. But I haven't been to well, no, both on my bucket list. My yeah. son's been to Portugal because he actually studied in Spain for a semester. But, I think um, if, you, if go, talking about globally, if you go to, um, uh, okay, Napa is beautiful. Uh, it's a beautiful part of the world. Uh, but if you're asking, and I, I think I know most of the wine growing regions in the world. Uh, Stellenbosch, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, New yeah. Zealand is beautiful, uh, but if 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 you and you will have, I'm sure you will have a chance to visit the Douro Valley. It's mm -hmm. it's uh, it, the beauty is is absolutely incredible. It's is it, jaw dropping. It's just amazing. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, me too. I'm right there with you. Um, so there was an article a few years ago about Jampal saying, yeah. you know, it, it's nearly extinct. And all the research that I did beforehand, too, it, it talked about how it's, it's, you know, almost extinct. Why do you think it got to this classification? How, how, how and why was, was there some, like, disease that, you know, the vines picked up or the winemakers didn't want to use it they didn't feel it you know why well it's a bit difficult to speculate but uh if you go back uh, decades ago uh the vineyards in portugal they were planted not by parcels but they were mixed plantings so you have 10 20 30 40 different varieties together And the reason for that is just a, 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 a sort of insurance. That if, if right. um, in terms of pests, in terms of disease, in terms of birds, so they're all, 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 all the different varieties are ripening at different times. 
So people don't didn't even know what was planted in each in, in, some, in most of the parcels anyway. And and Jean Paul it was it was one of them. They would have mixed planting in the vineyard, or sometimes you would have maybe a, one row. It was virtually extinct. And the reason for that, I can only uh, guess, but it's a very, very good guess. And it's, it's not very high yielding. It's, it's a difficult variety to grow. It's, it gives a very irregular, um, uh, ripens very irregularly and, and oh, okay. sort of is prone to some diseases. So basically, what if you have a vineyard, if you have a plot of land and, and you have uh, 10 varieties, and one of them is not is not producing very much. Uh, it's very very small yield. Uh, and going back, go, have to go back 30, 40 years ago. And we're not looking so much for after, especially after the Second World War. We're not so much looking looking so much for for quality and all that. We're looking for quantity. Right. So if the varieties are not producing, you, you get rid of it. So I think the, uh, the the if I have to answer your question with one word. It will be yield. Okay. And that is that is something that happens, sadly, still in today's world. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. That if it's not producing the money, you know, like you think old vines in, right? It's, it can produce a wonderful wine, but it doesn't produce a lot of wine. Exactly. And people who aren't, um, oh, I'll say it, people who have a lot of money and just are buying up wineries, because they want to own a winery and they just want money in terms of it. They're not in love with the, with the concept of the vineyards and the wines. They're ripping them up. And it's so sad to know that these sad. vines are being ripped up just because they're not producing tonnage. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's not always all about tonnage. Yeah, it's, about, it's about quality and, you know, yield. Right. If it's small yield, it might produce great quality wine. Yep. But, no. they, but people aren't understanding that. Yeah. yeah. This, is, this is this is a case in point. Jean Paul is a case in point because uh, it, it was rescued by by a, a Brazilian actually uh, from 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 uh, the brink of extinction. It was it was going towards that way. If you look at if you look at the wine grape book uh, that written by Jancis Robinson. He says that uh, I think Jean Paul has got about 100 hectares planted, uh, which is actually when I when I investigated this uh, two or three years ago uh, with the, the Institute of Vine and Wine in Portugal, they only they, they told me that there are much less than 100 um, hectares planted. It's actually, it's wow. only 32 hectares, 32.25 hectares. Wow, size. So it's it's it was it was going toward extinction, and what happened was uh, this this um, person who happened to be happens to be a, a football player. He came from Brazil to play football in in Portugal, and he this he got injured, and uh, after that he was looking for other things to do. He was very very he got into fitness. Uh, he has all sorts of fitness um, uh, places in, in Portugal. And I think he was looking for a plot of land outside Lisbon to, 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 to build something to do with his fitness uh, in, uh, business. And um, so he bought this property in, in Chaleiros, which is about uh, 25, 30 kilometers sort of north, 
north uh, west of Lisbon. And he uh, started to clear the plot and he found some um, old uh, ruins, I think Roman ruins, that go, go back to 700 uh, years old. And he, he really liked to, and his name is Andre, Andre Mans, and he's, he likes to preserve the heritage and he really respects the, the local culture. If you ever go to this place, if you, if you go there today, it is amazing because he's doing such a great work for this little village. But basically, he, he started making friends uh, around the village. And one day, a, a lady knocked at his door and said, listen, I've got a, this small plot of land. And it, I think he lets them know that he, want, he liked wine or if he wanted to make wine, something like that. And this lady said, listen, my husband passed away. My son is, is I think, is working in Lisbon, working somewhere. He's not, he, he's not interested in, in this plot. And I got some vines there. Would you like to, to buy from me? And he said, uh, yes, he want, he, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to make uh, just a little bit of wines to, to share with his, with his friends. So he'll, he'll make some, small quantity of high quality. So he went to look at this plot, and there was uh, mostly what was planted as variety called Castellan. And there was one row of this white variety, which no one knew what it was. So he asked the lady, she said, I don't know what it is. So he called a couple of experts, they didn't know. And they, uh, so they sent the, 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 this for analysis. And it came back, this is a, a very rare variety called Jean-Paul. And um, this is, and he made, he only had about 200 vines from, uh, 200 vines of Jean-Paul in this plot. And uh, he made his first vintage. I think he only made a few few hundred bottles for his friend. But he liked he liked the results. And as as you guys were saying uh, uh, early on, sort of uh, looking not so much for quantity, looking for quality. He liked very much the results. And then the rest is, is history. He started developing, implanting, and today he's got uh, instead of two hundred, I think he's got sixteen thousand vines. He's got wow. Uh, every, wow. He's, he's, he's planted, um, let me think, he's got about uh, 10 hectares in 11 different plots. Wow. So and now did he, so was he just propagating all on his own? So he created a nursery? Uh, to... uh, yeah, it's everything on his own because there is, there is this variety is, is rarely uh, planted elsewhere. Uh, so everything that was done, it was done from, from, from there. Which wow. is actually is, is, is a bit of a challenge because one of the one of the problems with jump one of them there's a, there are quite a few and then hence why people don't plant it so much it's it's quite it's quite prone to leaf uh, leaf roll virus oh wow okay so it's it's one of the things then it's problem with botrytis it's problem with colure uh, it's all sorts of things low yield as I mentioned earlier so it's a very difficult variety to 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 manage. So do you think that um, Andre Mans, like, you think that he first, and I guess this is just what you think, um, but do you think he just was like, this is so cool, I have a grape that nobody else has, and then he was like, okay, I'm going to keep this, and then I, oh, okay, I kind of like the way this wine tastes, yeah. you know, so he was more of a, more of like a historical buff Look, this in terms of keeping it? Actually, I, I bumped into him about two days ago in, in Germany. And I, I, I didn't even speak about, <laughs> about what we're doing today, but uh, I should have done it. But uh, he's, a, he's a very smart guy and uh, he's a businessman. So I think in his mind, knowing, uh, knowing him, 
he probably uh, the first thing is he made the wine he liked it so that's the, that's the important the first right right and the second thing is a, is a good businessman. So he thought, hang on a second, there is no other varieties. There is, there is only one Jean-Paul in the market. It's a, a great, uh, unique selling point. Why not? So he, right. bet, he bet on this variety and, and he did, he's doing extremely well. All right. Well, good for him. I guess we need to give him a very big thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, I, and I'm sure that, that I am certain there are many more Jean-Paul's sort of varieties like that in, okay. in Portugal. So, uh, yeah, hopefully <laughs> people carry on doing those things and, 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 and bringing other grapes from extinction. I love it. I do too. And now you actually answered our, our next question of how much, um, how much is there. So we went from about 200, 200 vines to several hectares and yeah. of it. And you're, and he's not the only one, but I read, um, I guess I think on his website I read that he is the only producer of one hundred percent. Yes, John Paul. Yes. So do yes. people do people blend a lot with it? Uh, without knowing, yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> because the the grape, according to the the, the Institute of Vines and Wines, it, the grape is uh, is traditionally cultivated in Lisbon. And uh, also appears in, in Beira Interior, which is more, more towards the, the northern part of the country, center part of the country. And it is also allowed to be planted in, in Chetubal, which is in the south of the river, south of, south of Lisbon, actually. Uh, just across the bridge from Lisbon, you're in, in peninsula Chetubal. It's, it's allowed to be planted there. It's allowed to be planted uh, in Adoro. And it also appears uh, some vines in Tejo. Why don't we see more uh, single variety jump out? Because they are, they are not they are not vineyards. They are all, I, I'm guessing they are all on old vines. They are mixed planted. There will be two vines here and one vine there, so that no one no one has planted plots as as Andre is is doing now. Right. Wow. All right. So we are. Uh, my wine is about. 200 miles away from me at the moment. Um, so I don't have the pleasure of being able to taste it, but I cannot wait to taste it uh, next week. But yes, yeah, so show us that glass and tell oh, us, yes. tell us. Um, yes. Okay. Donna Fatima. And I have to admit, I got a little confused because, you know, us Americans, we put our names on everything. So tell us, where does Donna Fatima come from? Because it is Andre Mann's it's it's man's winery. Yes, the label says uh, Dona Fatima, and he, he told me the story when I visited the, 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 his uh, vineyard um, few uh, before the pandemic, uh, and this is the, the name of his um, mother-in-law. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's <laughs> very nice. That's good. Yeah. That's good. But uh, yes, it's, it's nice. As, uh, he pays homage to his mother-in-law, but not in a nice way because. When he first tasted the variety, he, 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 he smiles, he laughs because it, it was just winding his mother-in-law up because the, the, the Jean-Paul has got very high acidity. And okay. Uh, okay. in Portugal, when you, when you say somebody doesn't, doesn't translate well to English, but uh, uh, acida is acid. He it says his grandmother was, it was sort of, I don't know how to explain this, but she was like a... Almost like a bitter person, an aggressive, aggressive okay. sort of person. Crazy. <laughs> so it's, it's sort of a joke. It's, a, it's almost like a joke on his mother-in-law. So I'm gonna put. On, uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna name this wine 
uh, with your name because this is it's got very high acidity. Say racy, she's racy. It's not a. It's a, it's a jokey. It's a, it was on a, it was a jokey, and it, it, it stuck. And it, that's the name of the wine itself. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so tell us about taste it. Taste it for us to tell us what what we would be tasting as soon as we can get it in our glass. Oh, it's a shame you guys don't have it on with you, but uh, the wine itself is is it's very delicately. Uh, scented it's very elegant okay. it's very seductive it's got some notes of uh, citrus uh, like a citrus blossom wow. there's some fresh dough which uh, oh. i think it, it does some work with the leaves so you got those little biscuity oh, doughy okay. notes some fresh dough some lemon butter oh my god this sounds wonderful uh, <laughs> i want to jump through the screen i want a glass yeah you know the best way to describe if you guys no one has a glass in front of you is people watching think of um aromas that are similar to albarino okay okay albarino. oh okay so well that makes slightly sense. citrus slightly mm -hmm. yes, some grapefruit citrus fruits some floral notes think of, of really racy acidity of like riesling Okay. And uh, and because it does this work with the with leaves and and the wine sees uh, some oak, French oak, but older oak and and light toast, uh, it, it develops a lovely texture. So think of Albarino uh, with the acidity of a riesling, with the texture with the mouthfeel of Chardonnay. Wow! All right. Together, that's what you get more or less. All right, I like that. I like that I like too. That. All right. So now, do we know the parentage of Jumho? Do we, you know? Uh, in terms of the parents, uh, I don't think there's been an in-depth analysis. No, I don't think that hasn't been done yet. One of the parents, however, I think is known. It's a variety called Castellon. And Castellon is a red variety and is used to be the most planted red variety in Portugal, Uh in the, in the past. Today, I think it's, it's not. I think it's the fifth or sixth most planted and is used in blends and so on. But uh, it's a red variety. It's, it's quite vigorous. It's highly productive. And that's Castellon. That's one of the parents. The other one is unknown. Okay. And so it is, it, but it has been determined that it is actually indigenous to the Chaleros region. Of yes, I right. think the, the people the, 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 they usually say the you you put the origin of the variety where there is where there is most where the, where you find the most genetic um, uh, diversity, and that is is points towards Lisbon. Yes, so it's that's really? that's the origin of it. So that's where this this area is, just around the Lisbon area. Yeah, if you look, yeah, if you if you take a, a car from uh, the center of Lisbon. Uh, depending how the traffic is, half an hour driving okay. up. It's, 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 yeah, half an hour, 40 okay. minutes from, from northwest, I'll say, northwest of Lisbon. The the area itself, what is the terroir, terroir like in that region? Uh, okay, we drove, we drove up uh, half an hour from Lisbon to more towards sort of northwest towards the sea. This this uh, village uh, called Chaleros is about uh, six kilometers from the ocean. Uh, it's very, very windy. One thing you need to, to know. It's in the middle of a valley. Uh, it's so the, some of the, the vineyards are planted in the north facing, some are planted in the south facing. 
uh, it's got a, a, quite a, a high variation of temperature in the summer you go there when is when is uh, a variation not so much during uh, seasons but also during the day so okay. you go in the seasons in the summer it's very hot and the winters are very cold but in the summer itself it, it can go it, it can go as as uh, over 40 degrees uh, in hot part of the day and then drop down to mid 20s at night so it's quite a quite a very quite a huge variation of temperature, and in the winter you could go as low as zero, and 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 when it's warm, sort of warm is sort of 10, 11 degrees. And the vineyard, the vines here are planted uh, in different altitudes. So you have starting from fifty, all the way to about two hundred and fifty meters of altitude. And it may not seem very much, but it's uh, it, uh, the difference in temperature could be as high as five degrees between the water. Oh, so it's, it's a lot of uh, uh, variation, even in that way. The soil itself is mostly clay and limestone, uh, very stony. It's very, very, very labor intensive, very hard to plant vineyards there. It's, it's very stony. Uh, because I said to you, it's only six kilometers from the sea. Uh, that uh, area was uh, under the sea about five million years ago. Mm -hmm. So if you look at, if you, if you look very carefully in the vineyards, you see seashells and and some fossils. And uh, does it have a lot of marine influence? The yeah, it is. It is. You, you you do find a lot of a lot of, especially with the wind. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah quite windy there you got you got this and actually sometimes even in wine itself you got some lovely salinity mm -hmm. it's quite is it similar to like galicia because um, it sounds like the winds and the temperature um let me think well this is going to be my next trip on monday so oh, okay so i'll ask you that next week no, no, i know i know i know that i've been, I've been there many times I, I know i know very well I'm if just, you want to put me in your suitcase for Galicia, I'll be more than happy. I'll, I'll fly to London and get in your suitcase to get. <laughs> it's uh, it's very similar. Well, um, no, it's not similar. The one thing I'm, they have in common is the is the proximity to the sea. Okay. But the soils will be different because they, I, you have a lot of granite, granite. and some sand. Yes. <laughs> and also in Galicia, it's quite humid. It's it, the the average rainfall there is very very high. So higher, okay. Yeah, and and in this place is less rainfall, and also there is there is more sunlight. But uh, I think that the, the the one common denominator will be the proximity of the sea, and that's windy sea breeze and a little bit of salinity. So, just how does how does it typically get uh, vinified? How this one get, get vinified? Well, uh, I explained to you about about the the terroir itself. It's uh, it's quite um, challenging, and is quite hilly, uh, and is very difficult even to walk because of, of the rocks. So uh, the reason I'm telling you that is is everything is it's hand harvested, okay. and it's hand harvested. It's quite late actually because of the it, it, the champagne is actually picked if I remember correctly is picked after the red grapes, so it's ah. sort of late September. Um, Hand harvested comes into the uh, winery, is distemmed and is very gently crushed and goes into the, the press. 
after that is actually they have they, they give uh, one of the things I remember he's telling me they they, they do about um, a 72 hour skin contact at, oh, okay. uh, at eight, eight degrees just to, to give them a little bit more structure uh, and to extract all those flavors and so after pressing and the, is a pneumatic press the juice goes to stainless steel and starts the fermentation on, on stainless steel tanks One thing is, uh, I said to you, I've been there before the pandemic. I, I am certain if I go back there, it will be completely different because when I went there uh, last time, they were just about to, to, to they were building a new facility. Oh, okay. So uh, I was walking there, so this is gonna, this is gonna be, anyway, I'm sure they will be completely different today. But so the, 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 the wines that goes into stainless steel tanks start fermentation at sort of 14 degrees, which is not, too low, not too high. And uh, after a while, I think it goes to two thirds of the fermentation. They, uh, it finishes in, in barrels, it finishes in, in French barrels. And oh, then okay. Is it used, used or is it new? It's, I think it's a combination. Uh, okay. I remember asking this question, it's a combination of, of it's, it's French, French mm -hmm. barrels, uh, light toasted, Uh, and it spends 12 months, and there are different sizes. I remember when I asked this question, there were different sizes of barrels. Uh, and that's basically it. What, what they do uh, apart from this is to, when, you, when you get a wine, you, 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 you taste the lovely energy and the lovely uh, racy acidity and freshness, and uh, they don't do the malolactic here. Okay. So Jampal usually has high acid uh, anyway, And they don't do the malo, so they expect a, a wine with really racy freshness. But what they do uh, to balance this acidity is they, they work on, on on the leaves. So the wine spends six months on the leaves, and they do batonnage to give them more sort of texture and density. And and uh, and apart from that, so the wine is better balanced in terms of of, of acidity, gives that lovely texture. And, um, and and adds adds a little bit of complexity. So this is so after the six months, uh, uh, on, they do batonnage for six months, uh, and after that, spend six months um, in the bottle. That's it. So I'm guessing with that, so so they're taking it, they're starting fermentation in the tank, but then moving it to barrel. So that's to help with the acidity to help give some complexity and body to it also so that it's finishing the fermentation in barrel. So it's an interesting concept because on the opposite spectrum, if you're taking a red grape variety that you want to soften it a bit, right? That's you're, you're taking it off a of fermentation in, you know, in a barrel and you're moving or, you know, you're taking it off of fermentation and you're moving it like halfway through, you know, so that it calms it down. So it's following that concept, mm -hmm. but more for that acidity. So, wow, that's pretty, that, that's actually pretty intensive too. So yeah, it's, it, it is labor intensive, but uh, one of the things, I mean, if you just, if you just take your, 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 the must and, and put all into different barrels, the problem you have there and you have, let's say if you have 20 barrels and some wineries have, many more than that if you have 20 or 50 barrels 
you you lost you, you lost uh, the, the the control of of the of the fermentation because you don't know what each barrel is doing. So you be fifty. There are fifty different ch children to look after because right. you don't know when they're gonna start. So the, if you put in a, in a barrel one one fermentation will start straight away, another one could take a few hours, another one could take a few days. So by letting the fermentation start in, in, in the inox tank, you know the fermentation is, is established. So then you can put in a barrel, you know they're all, uh, they're all uh, already running. So you don't have any right. surprises with the stack fermentation, high volatile, high, high uh, VA. VA and so on and so okay. forth. So it's a more secure way of, of conducting the fermentation. So yeah, I think you achieve more, uh, more security. Uh, you have more, more control. And you have the complexity of of, uh, of doing the fermentation in, in, in the barrel. And also, uh, in my opinion, and I do work as a consultant, so I, I have to come up with protocols, winemaking protocols. Uh, it, it, the oak is, is much better integrated. Uh, if you, the, early, the earlier you start fermentation in the barrel, the, the more integrated you get the wine. And in this case here, the wine is beautifully integrated. Yes, they, they get the marriage starts earlier, so they exactly. they get through that rocky period early on, and they they exactly. find their bliss. <laughs> exactly, absolutely. Do you think? Do you think that more wineries will start planning, Jampal? I, like I, I would like to think so. When when you have uh, such a unique selling point, when you have uh, something different. Uh, if you ask Andre, he probably would not want a competition. But, <laughs> he wants to be the sole producer. Yeah, exactly. You're the only one. So you can keep saying the same thing all the time. But I think if, if there are, uh, that's one side of the story. But then if you have, uh, you don't want 100 Jean-Paul producers. And it will never be 100 because no. the, the variety is so fussy. The variety is really difficult to, to manage. But if there was, like, say, five or six or ten, let's say, it would, it would, be, it would be great for us. Because we could uh, do different uh, uh, tastes of only Jampal and, and talk about different styles and so on. Right. And also, I think it will raise the quality of, of, of everyone because I think this wine, uh, he is a, a perfectionist. So he's, I think he's raising his own standard uh, every, single, every single year. But if there are five or six uh, competitors, you, you, you make sure that you are you're always looking to improve for certain. Now you you had mentioned you know that it is a pretty late ripener and all of that stuff, but then you talked about the ocean influence and all of that. So and it being finicky, is it prone to mold? Is it like is with with the breeze or is the wind helping it kind of dry out a bit? Yeah, it's it's a difficult one because I think the the the, the skins are, are a little bit thin. Um, uh, even before that, uh, the bunches are quite um, quite small. Oh, okay. Uh, hence, uh, lower yield. Uh, it's, but the skins are thin. If they, when the skins are thin, I mean, the chances of you getting uh, a fungal infection is much higher than than if you got a, a thick a thick skin variety like Albarino, for example. So that's one problem. Um, when it does ripen, actually, one of the things you can tell what, what in, in a vineyard, what is if it's Jean-Paul or something else, it got some brown dots on, on the on the on the skins. Right. So that's that's one way of 
of um, identifying Jean-Paul. Okay. I did see, I saw an image of the grapes and it did have, it did have those brown freckles. What did it? In that, in that, in that case, you saw an image when, when, the, when the grapes were ripe. Ripening? Yeah, okay. yeah. It's like, I think Bical is the same. Bical has some, uh, uh, Bical from Bayrada also has some brown dots when it ripens. So uh, yes, one of, one, one of the characteristics. And how, how is it, is it head train? How are they training it? Uh, this is a good question. The new vineyards, uh, the new vines they are planted now. I think that the old ones, if I remember, they were actually bush trained. They are there. Okay. Yeah. But the new ones now, they are they are on uh, VSP. Okay. So let's go uh, shoot positioning. They are about, uh, not about, they are growing up to 60 uh, centimeters from the, from the ground. And uh, from the from the vine up up to the up to the top of the of the vine is a, a, a maximum of one sixty. So you got one okay. meter of, of 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 the of the canopy. So okay. just to answer your question, one quick word is uh, VSP. Okay. The, the new vines. And then usually, they, and one one, one more thing I remember, the, and they planted usually because this is a very poor soil. So they planted usually on uh, one meter. Uh, okay. For each vine, vine, and they leave the rows of about the new the new vineyards now that they're living. I think two and two point five uh, meters between rows. Okay. So you got uh, four thousand sort of so four thousand plants per hectare. I suppose. Hector. Wow. Okay. And is the rootstock is it natural or is it like? A no, no. They have to. They have to use American rootstocks. American well, we have dogs barking. My dog barks. You got the fireman. <laughs> Rory's got the fireman coming by. Um, you're, you're enjoying the glass. Um, what yes. Would you, what would you pair with it? What kind of foods would you pair with this wine? Mm. Remember what uh, uh, the way I described the wine with that yeah. sort of uh, uh, Albarino, Riesling, Chardonnay sort of right. thing. So white, white, uh, any white fish. I'm talking. I'm thinking of a high quality fish like monkfish, sea bass. Mm -hmm. A grouper or something like that, uh, a really high quality fish, and you don't have to mess too, uh, so much with with the with the fish with sauce. It's just a lovely, beautiful fish. Uh, I think would, would would go really, really, really well. Uh, uh, salad, a, a nice chicken salad, uh, lobster. Why not? Well, there's nothing wrong with the lobster. <laughs> um, but well, we've got monkfish and sea bass on our opening menu. <laughs> so there you go. Anything, anything like that. Uh, a seafood risotto, I think, it would go beautifully. Ooh. It would go well with that, especially if it's a bit rich. Because so this acidity mm -hmm. will cut through beautifully. Uh, it's just it's, it's such a wonderful story to tell, and and the wine. But it's not only a story. It's it's a great uh, USP, but it's the, the the quality of the wine is actually very good. So it's not just a gimmick. The wine is great. But I would treat it as if you think of a sort of a, again, it's a mixture of a sort of um, really extreme northern Burgundy with a with a with a southern Burgundy because it, it got the acidity of like a Chablis, it's got some sunshine, it's got the kiss of sunshine of a sort of a Marconet. If, if you go on something in between, everything I told you: fish, chicken, seafood risotto, and I, it, it, I'm sure you'll do you'll do very well. And the other thing is, I'm looking at this wine here. Uh, the, the label says 12 and a half. 
in uh, the chemical analysis, I think it's 12.6, which is it's exactly what, what more or less, uh, low in alcohol. Right. And it's six o'clock in London, so I'm allow, allowing my, I am allowing myself a sip of wine. It's 6 p.m. Uh, it's a great wine just to have a glass. It's refreshing. It's low in alcohol. It's, it's, it's great by itself. I like wines that you can drink by themselves. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's by, you do it by itself. It's no problem at all. It's low in alcohol. It's, it's got beautiful acidity. Uh, it's, it's bone dry. It's got less than one gram, a gram per liter of sugar. So it's bone, bone dry. And uh, it just helps to, to it's, it helps with the diversity of the wine in, in general. I, I, I love that. That's what I love uh, about Portugal. I, I drink wines from all over the world. I enjoy wines from all over the world. People say, oh, your favorite? I don't have a favorite wine. But uh, I, I, I like... Whichever I like, one is in my glass. Whatever is in it. I like the diversity. I like to, I like to, to, to learn something, something new. If you take into account, for example... Look at the statistics from the OIV, and there are over 10,000, according to them, there are over 10,000 known grape varieties in the world. 13 of them account for one third of the world's vineyard area. And if you pick 33 of them, they account for half of them. So it's, um, and if you go country by country, for example, if you go to Argentina, you take four varieties, you take, uh, let me remember this. If you take Malbec, you take Bonarda, you take Criolla, you take Cereza, those four varieties, they account for uh, half of the planters of Argentina. Okay? Then you take go to another country. And I'm not saying nothing bad about Argentina because they make some great wines and I, I like their wines. But you take another country, uh, Australia, you go take Syrah, Cabernet, and Chardonnay. It accounts for 60% of all the plantings. You go to New Zealand, and Sauvignon Blanc accounts for seventy-three percent of what's planted. So it's it's quite. Um, I'm not saying lack, lack of lack of diversity, but uh, they they are very good on, on what they do. But and I do enjoy Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand from time to time. But I like Portugal because of this amazing diversity uh, of uh, sometimes. And I'm supposed to be an expert in in Portugal, and sometimes I go to. Uh, I go there, as I said, a few times a month, and, and somebody says, hey, taste this, have a look at this. What is this? It's a great variety called, and they give me the name of the varieties. Have you heard of it? Yes, I've heard of it, but I have never tasted it, not as a single variety. So there's yeah. a lot of, uh, with, with you guys ask me a question, what is uh, exciting, what excites you the most? It's, it's this ability to keep discovery. And I yeah. I don't think there's many many countries uh, they are better than Portugal in this in this uh, this way of sort of learning and discovering. So this is why I get excited when I speak about Portugal. I, I understand that completely. I get very excited when mm -hmm. I pick up a bottle and it's a varietal that I have not, even if it's just a portion of it, even if there's just one grape in that blend yeah. that is something that I haven't had before. I. I get all giddy. I get all happy. Yeah, yeah. I do too. And I think, oh, we got to have this for wine for this. <laughs> I've got a notebook filled with them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, but it's a shame because, um, yeah, varieties like this, I mean, it takes somebody very brave to, 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 to resurrect because um, I, I said to you how 
difficulties in, in the first question you guys asked me, you know, uh, why is not planted more? Is it is because of the yield? And if you take into account, is is a, a, a variety which is completely unknown, uh, so no one knows. It's it's difficult to sell. But in terms of yields, uh, we're talking about on average thirty five uh, hectoliters per hectare. What is that? That is even lower than a Grand Cru Burgundy. Wow! Right. So it's you know it's it's uh, and this wine does does not command the price of a Grand Cru uh, Burgundy. So it's it's quite a difficult it's, it's a difficult commercial proposition. So you gotta make it you know, make a great wine and try to sell it at a at a, a, a decent price. And um, but it takes somebody quite brave to do that. Absolutely, to be able to you know say this is going to be my grape that I'm going to adopt as my winery's flagship is yeah. pretty brave. <laughs> and I think sure. that's pretty good too. Do you yeah. think, um, how do you see the future for the John Paul grape? Like in Portugal and do you think it can be grown outside of Portugal? Ah, it's, this is a great question because some of the varieties, as we know, um, Alvarinho or Alvarinho and Tobago Nacional, uh, they age, uh, sorry, they age, they travel very well. Uh, so yeah, we see Tobago Nacional in USA, you see Torrega Nacional in Argentina and, and now in Bordeaux. So, and, yeah, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I remember when I was giving, I was giving sort of a lecture and people asked me to look into the future. And I said, oh, you know what? What's going to happen one day? You're going to have Alvarinho uh, 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 planted in, in Bordeaux. And people look at me like I was mad. And this is like <laughs> 10 years ago. I, I even, but but to, to be honest with you, even I was surprised with the speed that this, my uh, my uh, sort of uh, what I was thinking about. I, I knew it was going to happen at, at one stage because it, it is a wonderful variety and it retains acidity in warm climates. Mm -hmm. So that was that was a forecast I had, but I, I was quite surprised myself with how fast it, it, it moved. With varieties like Encruzado, or in this case Jampal, to answer your questions, some varieties don't travel very well. Uh, and as a, and Cruzado is one of them, Baga from Barada is another one, which I'm not sure it travels very well, so you, you might not see Baga planted uh, elsewhere. I doubt very much that people are going to be uh, knocking at uh, André Mans's uh, winery and say, oh, I really want some cuttings of Jean Paul because I want to plant it. Uh, in, I can see I can see why because it retains an amazing acidity and amazing freshness, talking about climate change. Now, and uh, for example, I I work in a uh, for a producer in Croatia, so we have to plant new vineyards, and, and I'm looking for for varieties that retain acidity. That's okay. I'm, I'm not I'm not planting a vineyard for for tomorrow or for the next five years. I'm planting a, planting a vineyard for the next 25, 30 25, years. Right. We're going to be looking at at climate change and so on. So varieties that have retained acidity and and, and have low pH. But the problem with Jampal is the, the the yields are so low. It's it, it doesn't commercially. Like, it's, ah! it's a shame. If the, if the yields were good, I would say yeah. I I, I think in the next ten years or fifteen years, I I, I see people planting Jampal in in warm climate in warm climates like I don't know California or or so on and so forth. Uh, but in this case, mm, I, as much as I like to say I like to say yes, I don't think so. 
um... Yeah, I, I think that the varieties that are being transported to other regions for climate change are higher yielding. It, it's not worth <laughs> it's not worth the effort, I think, mm -hmm. in their eyes to transport a grape variety that is going to be so limited, right? They're trying mm -hmm. to keep their production and quality up, but to transfer a grape variety that is so limited in, in quantity mm. is probably not, it, it's gotta be cost prohibitive, right? It's just, it's just not worth it. You know, they'll look to another, another grape. Yeah, it, it, because this variety is so unknown, there is no clonal material. There's no, there's right. no studies on clones. Um, so if I'm, if I'm working a free consultancy for, for a winery, for a Californian, uh, producing producer who's looking to plant varieties, look for like Arinto. Arinto is a variety which is is it can make fantastic wine. It does yield okay, uh, and it retains wonderful freshness. So uh, if if, you, if you're looking at for uh, Portugal to 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 plant uh, as 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 a source of, of grapes, Arinto is probably uh, is a great white. There are many. There are many other whites. There are some reds, but Arinto is a good one, and it and it does travel very well. It's planted all over Portugal from north to south. Okay. And, and and one thing it has to uh, give not low yield, not high yield. I think we're talking about quality, mm -hmm. but uh, it has to retain acidity. It has to retain freshness. Uh, it has to be able to give uh, a sense of place. Right. Uh, and uh, like Chardonnay does, if you if you taste Chardonnay, Chardonnay is, is quite malleable, and as a variety that is able to. You you can yeah is a chameleon and you can taste Chardonnay yourself. Okay, ah, this is from Pouligny Montrachet. This is what you do as a master of, on a master of wine exam. Or oh, this is Pouligny Montrachet because of this. This is uh, Merceau because of this. Yes. So there is a sense of place that the variety is just a, it's just doing that job. And um, so this is quite important. The variety that builds well has, and if you look back, for example, in California in. 70s or 80s, uh, Sangiovese, when it was planted there, oh, we, we, it's, uh, Sangiovese doesn't do well in California, it's not a variety for California. It does, it does well in California, it's, it's a good variety, it retains acidity. The, but the problem is when people planted uh, uh, Sangiovese in California, they, they use the wrong clones. So you have to have great knowledge, great understanding of plant material to be able to, to select and plant a vineyard that's not for you, not maybe for your children or your children's children. So you have to think right. of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, if somebody wants to, oh, go ahead. Did you have another question, Deb? Yeah. I mean, now we're educating people on this John Paul grape. And, you know, you don't know what the future holds. I mean, it's all about education and awareness. Do you think there'll be any type of initiatives for the grape or it's just going to keep status quo? What, what you know? Because we would, we will spearhead that. You know, yeah, with wine yeah. for Bet Street as the first one to. Yeah. <laughs> this is a this is a great question. Um, I was doing this project with the wines of Portugal, which I was I was uh, I still am immensely proud. It's called uh, Hidden Gems, mm -hmm. or okay. the rare, called Castas Raras in Portu in Portuguese, which has been the rare grape varieties, and this is how I I, I found this Jean Paul. Which is basically is not to just to to demonstrate the, 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 to talk about the variety those varieties is actually to demonstrate is not only to, is to actually get find those varieties single varieties 
and then and do master classes and do tastings with uh, with the, with the trade with buyers with journalists to 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 so they could understand how diverse portugal is i said to you this it's i'm excited because there's over 250 grape varieties but and and you can read that in a book or you can hear in, in a podcast but this is actually tasting the wines mm -hmm. so um the objective really is to aside from educating and talking to journalists and so on is to delight the customers and to taste a wine like this and goes back to your question is to encourage producers to say wow yeah there's people people are talking about jean paul people are talking about uh, uh tinta grossa people are talking about those which i've never heard of um and there is and, and i keep getting orders for it so i have to plant more and so on and so on and so forth so it's, it's, this is this is the, the one of the objectives actually to get get to get uh, people excited to get journalists and to get it produces plenty more. And I was uh, I give you another example the, uh, a producer from you may have heard of called Luis Pato. Mm -hmm. He has this variety called Cercialino, which is he was the only one and he's I'm the only one Cercialino is great and it's good varieties uh, greater city and so on and so forth. So when I was in Germany last week at Provine, uh, one other producer came, hey, uh, I've got a, a variety to show you. I said, I'm the second producer of Cecilia. <laughs> uh, and it was fantastic. The wine was phenomenal. So yeah, this is, this is one of the objectives of doing this, this project called Hidden, Hidden Gems, yeah. is to get uh, everyone involved, including um, the, the producers who maybe will plant and we, we, we have more things to talk about. Yes, I'm all for that. I am all for that. Me too. Now, if people want to find out more about the Hidden Gems, is there like a website or something that they can go to so they can see what's going on? Can they follow you? How do they get to you to maybe, you know, can they shoot you a question about about it? Like, how can they find out more about you and no, can, your Hidden Gems? If anyone can uh, would like to shoot a question to me, no problem at all. I've, it, it, it look at my... Uh, Social media is called Viana, uh, which is my surname, V-I-A-N-N-A, Viana Wine. That's my, okay. my, um, my Instagram. Uh, send me a question there. But this is a project I was doing uh, together with uh, Wines of Portugal. We did it for a uh, couple of years, and then the pandemic came. Uh, yeah. But we, we, we actually, we're doing, we, we're using, we're finding those amazing varieties, great examples, and we're doing dinners with uh, sommeliers and so on, and journalists. In different parts of um, uh, of the world, so London, uh, Switzerland, and so on and so forth. And when the pandemic came, we did a few online, uh, some okay. online examples. Uh, and the, I'm hoping that we'll carry on with this project with the Wines of Portugal. So maybe look out at the Wines of Portugal website um, and uh, send them messages and pester them because we are really it's something that i, I get very excited and I, I, I want okay. to carry on and i think that's the future of portugal as i said okay. if uh, as i, I gave one one uh, uh, statistic earlier i didn't make up from my own head it actually exists from oiv 73 percent of of the of uh, of the vineyard area of new zealand is, is planted with sauvignon blanc and portugal has got amazing diversity and and we need to do as professionals we need to talk about it so what you guys are doing is fantastic because we want them to to keep doing it so to make our life more interesting and more fun and we have more things to talk about well we we are honored and i'm so excited 
to be able to introduce that. And uh, we will definitely, in the show notes, we will definitely link up to the wines of Portugal and mm -hmm. uh, put a link to your Instagram um, profile. And um, oh, thank you, Evelyn. Evelyn put that link in in, the into the chat yeah. so that people can find you. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And, and what would you want two things people to leave this uh, webinar podcast? Cause we turn it into both after this to know about Jean Paul. It's not so much about Jean Paul. I think about, about Portugal in general, okay. because it's um, uh, like me, the best questions of or, or you ask me today is what makes you, uh, excited and, and what it does for me is it's it's uh, is the ability to keep uh, exploring and learning and I think Portugal is it's a great place for you to explore and and if you want to look for, if you're looking for something unusual and different it's Portugal is, is a great place this variety itself if you have a chance I know it's the, the, there's an importer um, I think it's called Italian product and beyond yes. in, out in, of Elizabeth Elizabeth, it's, New Jersey. That's it. And uh, go and uh, actually don't buy too many bottles because there are there are only a few thousand <laughs> bottles made. And I want I want to keep some in uh, in in London. But uh, you should explore it. It's 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 a, it's just a, it's, it's a nice story. Uh, but it's not only a story. The quality of the wine is actually very good. So uh, thank thank God for our, our, our friend uh, Andre Mans to have uh, resurrected that. So. To, yes. to a couple of things. So <laughs> two things to is first of all go and explore the variety because it's, it is interesting and I think you will enjoy it. And second, let's uh, let's uh, give praise to the person who who uh, brought that from extinction, which was a fellow Brazilian. Yes. Well, thank you so thank much, you. Junior, for coming on. I I cannot wait to get to get this bottle. My my husband is bringing it to me tonight. So okay. um, I hope mine shows up and uh, we will, we will definitely put links to you and to the wines of Portugal and um, to the distributor in New Jersey. We'll make sure there's links for that also. And um, thank you so much for taking time out of what I'm sure is an extremely busy, busy schedule for you uh, to share John Paul and wines of Portugal with us. And uh, I appreciate it with very dearly. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, Laurie. For, for, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, Debbie. Uh, thank, thank you, Eugenia, for putting us together. Yes. Uh, thanks to Wines of Portugal for everything they do to, to communicate, to talk about uh, an amazing Wines of Portugal. And uh, thank you to and Andrea. My Mons imaginary glass. Yeah, yeah, mine too. Cheers. Slancha. Yes. Have a great day Thanks or everyone. evening. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Even in the Bible. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Butt. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. 
podcast music is Wine by Kevins. Until next week, slancha. I want to let you go right now.